welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. And today I am so excited to have one of my biggest mentors on, and that is Jack Canfield. I not only have been able to have the honor of training with him and becoming one of his certified trainers, but now you get to hear all about why Jack Canfield has created so many breakthroughs in so many people's lives. So he is the beloved originator of Chicken Soup for the Soul. He is known as America's number one success coach. He's studied and reported on what makes successful people different, what motivates them, and he is going to bring you some critical insight on how to do that yourself. He is a multiple New York Times bestselling author, the founder and chairman of the Canfield Training Group. He's the founder and former CEO of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and he is just, to me, a master storyteller and truly creates incredible growth and breakthroughs in your life. So you guys, this conversation that we have is incredible. You are not going to want to miss it. And he is giving you a 10 day transformation giveaway and you can register at lauriharder.com forward slash Jack. That's J-A-C-K, lauriharder.com forward slash Jack. So especially after you hear this conversation, if not right now, you are going to want to go and register for that 10 day transformation. So without further ado, let me introduce you to my guest. Jack, I'm so incredibly excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, Lori. Thank you for inviting me. So Jack, anyone who knows me, knows that I am just a little bit obsessed with you. (laughs) So I'm always referring back to your teachings all the time because I was able to go to train the trainer and that truly rocked my world. It really just shot me into the direction that I wanted to go. So I'm beyond thrilled to have you on. And I just want to know right now what you are most grateful for in your life. Well, there are several things. I'm I'm really grateful for my health. I'll be 72 in August, and I feel like I'm 50 years old. So, that's a big piece of it. I'm grateful for my wife. We're at a really height. You know, relationships go up and down over years, and everything's really great right now. I'd say the most thing I'm grateful for is my grandson, who's three, mm. and um, I had no idea it would be so fun. And he is um, just the coolest little kid. His mother's Japanese. And so he looks like a little Japanese rock star and um, he's got long hair and he <laughs> loves me and I love him. And mm. I'm, you know, it was funny. I met with a psychic the other day who just offered me a free session. So I said, okay. 
And she said he actually uh, is, I'm going to have as much influence on him as his father and that we have a, he's a very evolved soul. So I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, right now he's fun. We talk, but by the time he's 12 or 13, it should get really interesting. But I'm so grateful to have my first grandchild. And then finally, I'm grateful for my staff. I have the most amazing staff who are helping me fulfill my dreams in the world. Mm. I love hearing that. And the fact that you say you still have, you know, you still have these massive dreams. And that's one thing that when I sit and listen to you, I'm like, wow, you are still so incredibly motivated just to go out there and create you. You still have so many things that you want to do. So what is that? What continually drives you? Well, I think number one, I, I enjoy what I do. It's like someone who drives race cars. They enjoy it. They don't all of a sudden stop when they get older enjoying it. So I love my work. I think it was Thomas Edison said, when your vocation feels like a vacation, you know, you've got it made. So I've traveled all over the world teaching seminars and giving speeches and developing products. And everywhere I go, I just have a great time. I was in Moscow this last year and in Romania, in France, in Italy. And so that's fun for me. And then I get letters from people that have changed their lives. I I went down to L.A. We were in the W Hotel last weekend for a bachelor party for a friend of mine who's getting married. And um, I walk in and they're having the BET, the Black Entertainment Awards. Mm -hmm. And this guy walks up to me. He says, oh, my God, you're Jack Canfield. And I said, yeah, I am. He said, well, I own five radio stations in Dallas and you are the motivational king. You're, 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 You're making my life, man. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then as we're leaving the W on Sunday, uh, these two girls come up to me, young girls, and they say, oh, my God, you're Jack Canfield. We read all your chicken soup books. You've saved our life. So, you know, that only has to happen once or twice a week to keep me going. Mm-hmm. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Really- <laughs> so what are you most excited about right now that you're doing? I think what I'm most excited about is our Train the Trainer program, which you mentioned, um, where we're now – we have a goal to train one million trainers by the year 2030. And originally we were doing it only in live trainings, but then I was over in the Gulf and we were visiting countries like Oman and Iran and Bahrain, Kuwait and the United Arab Emirates. And everyone's going like, we can't get visas to come to the United States. Like, we can't afford that. But we want this training. So we spent a couple of years uh, developing an online program that literally trains people how to do experiential workshops, teaching the success principles. And since November of last year, we've got over a thousand people who've taken that course and have become certified in over 79 countries. So that's really, really exciting to me that this work is going to go on, you know, my legacy, if you will. And we're having that kind of impact around the world. So that's really, really exciting. And I'm working on a book about choosing love over fear. And the more I get into it, the more I realize it's really the main choice we all have to make in life is that we need to come from love instead of fear. And that anger is dramatized fear, resentment, jealousy, it's all dramatized fear. And so when we when we come from fear, we end up with really messy, yuck, yucky results. When we come from love, everything seems to work. So those are the two things I'm most excited about. Oh, I'm oh, excited I'm... about that book. Yeah. <laughs> Very. So we talk all about in your Train the Trainer, just life's purpose, your purpose statement. Why do you think it's so important for people to figure out their purpose and stay connected to their purpose? Well, I think that, you know, it's a great quote I quote in, in my trainings, in my books uh, from Stephen Covey. He said, you don't want to get to the top of the ladder 
and realized the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. So, I mean, you and I both met a lot of people who are wealthy, powerful, famous, whatever, and they're not happy Mm -hmm. because they were pursuing something based on their ego, their fear, their parents told them they have to become a doctor, whatever, and they weren't really, it's not really what their purpose is. I believe, as you know, that everyone is born with a unique purpose. There's something you're here to express, whether it's to be a chef or a mechanic or an architect or a musician, whatever it is. And that when we're doing that, we're bringing that into the world, we are being of service. When we're coming from a place of greed, we're coming from a place of fear, we often make choices that are not in alignment with that. And then we end up, you know, as I said, you can have a lot of the outer trappings of success, but you're not really happy. You know, it was funny, my wife, um, met with the same psychic I was just telling you about. And um, she told my wife something very important. Uh, you know, I, I am someone that's very mission-driven. I have these big goals. My wife does not. And she often compares herself. I remember we went to the first National Speakers Association convention, and after a day she was in the room crying, you know, with, everyone's got a goal. They're all writing a book. They've all done these amazing things, and I'm just, you know, whatever. And what this woman told her was, you're like a fireman. You're not out there building a building. You're sitting in a building waiting for a fire. And when the fire happens, you jump into the fire truck and you go and you solve that. You put that fire out. And so she said, you're always responding to the people that come into your life and you are counseling them. You're giving them permission to be themselves. You're helping them understand their feelings. You're helping them you know, with their relationships. You are doing so much at such a deep, intuitive level. But you're comparing yourself to someone like Donald Trump who's building tall buildings. Mm-hmm. You're always going to feel like a second-class citizen. But the fact is you're doing your purpose. This is what you are here for. And that was very healing for her to hear. So I think if you know your purpose, then you can get in touch with that through exercises like you're in my book, The Success Principles, on my program, you know, uh, Awakening Power and so forth. Uh, then you set goals or you accept who you are and then you live your life from that place in alignment with who you are and then you're happy. And most people, we know that 75% of all people in jobs in America are not happy at work. That's sad. I believe there's a job that you can find that allows you to express your purpose. And when you do that, you can be happy and make a difference. Oh, I love that. So there's no big or small. It's just different. And it's just, it's amazing because your wife is also probably one of your biggest supporters and how you can really get your purpose out there too. So that's really beautiful. All right. One of my favorite things about you is actually how spiritual you are. So Mm -hmm. what role has spirituality played in your life and business? Well, I think spirituality has played a huge role in my life. Everything from the fact that I meditate has allowed me in meditation to come up with the chicken soup for the soul title. It was, um, we didn't have a title for the book and we were going to New York to sell the book and we didn't have a title. We needed one. So Mark Victor Hansen, my co-author, and I, we actually spent five, well, we committed to five days of meditation where we would meditate for an hour every morning and just ask a higher power for um, a title. And I remember it was on a third day. The first two days, nothing happened. The third day, there was a big chalkboard appeared in my mind, and the hand came out and wrote chicken soup. And I said to the hand, which I assumed was God, I said, well, what the heck does chicken soup have to do with it? <laughs> my book. And and the voice said, when you were sick, your grandmother gave you chicken soup. I said, but this is not a book about sick people. And then the voice said, people's spirits are sick. 
They're suffering from resignation, fear, and hopelessness. This was 1993, first Gulf War, major recession like we just came out of. And um, so I thought, chicken soup for the spirit. That didn't ring. Chicken soup for the soul. I got goosebumps. Mm -hmm. And um, that became a brand that's now probably worth a half a billion dollars. So the reality is that's one aspect of that. Meditation has been a place that I – uh, revive myself. I get uh, inspiration. I get guidance. It's led to the formation of the Transformational Leadership Council, which led to me being in the movie The Secret because half the people were filmed for that movie at one of our meetings. Um, it's allowed me to believe in things like past lives and psychic healers and all that kind of stuff. And you know, as I look at my past lives, which I've actually been able to uh, you know perceive. Um, you know, I had a past life as a Catholic priest, several past lives as a Buddhist monk, um, and one as an American Native American shaman. So I know that in all these lives, spirituality has meant a lot to me, and I'm able, because of that, to help people connect to my new definition of success, which used to be to create any goal you wanted to achieve, and they actually do it. But now my definition of success is to fulfill your soul's purpose, because mm -hmm. if we're here with a purpose, and we build big buildings or make a lot of money, but we don't do what the mission we came to do, then we haven't really truly been successful. And so it's given me that 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 perspective that's allowed people to move to the deepest. And actually, once you're there, the most effortless way to move through life. Mm. Well, Jack, I literally got this title because I sat in a meditation and just thought, what is this going to be called? What is this going to be called? What is this going to be called? So that is awesome. I love, love, love hearing that. Um, so what has been one of the scariest things? Do you still get scared, number one? What's been one of the scariest things that you've had to do in order to grow into the person that you know you're supposed to be? Well, you know, what happens in life is what you're doing eventually becomes not the thing you're supposed to keep doing. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're giving birth, there's a point at which the baby comes out. Now you got to be a parent instead of birthing, you know, the, going through the birth process. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is in, during, you know, as you go through life, uh, there are times when you have to let go of what's been working or what starts not working. And I would say probably the scariest things for me was when I was – I had a very successful retreat center uh, on the East Coast. We were doing weekend workshops with lots of guest leaders coming in from all over the country. And at a certain point, it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. And I, I sold that. I moved to California, a place where I was not known at all. And, but yet all the people I wanted to study with were here, people running large groups, uh, people on the cutting edge of the human potential movement. So that was very, very scary for me. But as I've learned over the years since I'm now in my 70s, that what happens is every time I do that, it always works out. Mm -hmm. And after a while, you begin to go, hey, this will work out. I think my two divorces were scary. Uh, one was after five years of marriage, one was after 20 years of marriage. And the first one, I never should have got married. It was kind of like, I wish I'd been Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate and <laughs> rode off on a Vespa, but I didn't do that. <laughs> My self-esteem was so low, I couldn't cancel the wedding. I had 150 people coming in from both sides of the families. And so, you know, finally, I, I did get a divorce on that one. And then 20 years later, after 17 years of a great marriage, it just evolved and we went two different directions. And again, that was scary. I lost half of my wealth. Uh, you know, my wife got most of the money. I got to keep my job in the house we were in. And so all of a sudden I went from being, you know, a multimillionaire to someone with a house and a job. Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to build that back up. But, you know, that was scary 
both in terms of you know potentially hurting someone's feelings, my public image, uh, as someone who's successful, you can't even make a marriage work kind of thing, and then also um, just the financial aspect of that. I think um, you know, and, and I think just you know moving. Well, I was down in L.A., I was working for a company called Insight Training Seminars, and I reached a point where I realized I needed to go out on my own. It took me a year to get up the courage to do that and start my own training company. Um, you know, I, I got a $10,000 loan from my mother-in-law, and that's what I started my company with. And now it's going into, a, you know, multi-millions of dollars a year of income. And then I, I think lastly, selling chicken soup for the soul, you know. For 15 years, that was my identity. I was a chicken soup guy. We were making tons of money off of it. And all of a sudden, I just wasn't inspired by collecting inspirational stories anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was a difficult one. And eventually, we did sell the company. And I took a year off to kind of re-vector my life. And that's when I got into starting to do the Success Principles book and to do uh, the Breakthrough to Success seminars and to uh, really refocus on training trainers. But each one of those was scary. But each one has led to something better. Mm. So is it scary? Does it feel scary because we're attaching our, you know, our identity to where we are in that moment? Or, and are you using obviously your principles to move through that when that happens? Like what are the first steps? Well, I I think first of all, it's scary because who am I if I'm not that, you know, if I give up being a lawyer, if I give up being, you know, uh, the empty nest syndrome, I'm no longer a mother with kids. What do I do? Uh, but I think it's also scary in the sense of where's the next dollar going to come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how are people going to perceive me? Am I going to get rejected? Am I going to be judged by other people? Um, anytime we take a risk, it's called a risk because sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, I do believe when you risk in service of your purpose, it, it's, it's pretty much guaranteed to work out. But most people don't know that, so they don't take the risk. I think how I move through it and what I encourage other people to do is to really examine your fears. They're, they're usually fairly un, unfounded and overblown in your own mind. I mean, I had thousands of people who love and support me, all kinds of people who would hire me. So to think I wasn't going to be successful was kind of crazy. But, you know, when you give away millions of dollars of your security to your ex-wife and you think, well, now I have nothing. I mean, I was wearing shirts three days in a row for about six months just because I didn't feel like I could afford, you know, the the, um, the cleaners. Um, but, you know, as I said, we built it back to way times more than what I ever was worth even back then. But I think, you know, also using your friends as a sounding board, trusting your mastermind partners, uh, reaching out to friends, being willing to ask for support, um, you know, visualizing being successful. See, worrying, which is what gets in the way and makes us afraid, is we're just imagining something bad happening. I won't be able to do this. I won't be able to pay the mortgage. People will judge me. Well, in the moment that you're thinking that, everything's just fine. You know, I'm sitting here. I've got an office around me, food in my refrigerator, clothes on my back. I could start to think negative thoughts, but that's in the future. So come back to the present realize you're okay. And then also, if you're going to visualize anything in the future, visualize yourself being successful. And that not only makes you feel better, but it also activates the law of attraction. It activates your subconscious mind to start coming up with solutions of how to get there. So, uh, And then obviously take the actions that are inspired by that. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I love that you share the real, what it really looks like, because it's not just like you get there and then, oh, I'm here. I've made it. That's what, you know, that's what so many people think. It's just really, this, it continues to happen over and over and it's just continual growth. And I love that you talk about mastermind because that's where, actually where I was going next. Um, one of the biggest takeaways from your training was number one, how experiential it was. And number two, what an incredible effect you can have on your life, on growth, on fear when you are connecting with other people, seeing that you're not alone, really sharing your experiences. So I know that you are a huge believer in masterminding and now I am too. I'm like, where else can I mastermind? How many more masterminds can I fit in my schedule? But what has that done for you? And are you part of them right now? Yeah, I've had masterminds and been part of masterminds probably for the last, I don't know, 35, 40 years. And, you know, sometimes you get in a mastermind group, as I've done, and it lasts for three years. And then I was in one, it was the most powerful group I was ever in. John Asaraf was in that group. We had an ex-editor from Playboy, Mark Victor Hanson, my co-author. Uh, I had a guy who was the number one chiropractor in Los Angeles, a number one photographer, a person who was an infomercial expert, a real estate developer. I mean, really high-powered people. And what happened is we all wrote books. And then all of a sudden, we all had to go on uh, book tours. And we were all around the world running seminars and kind of fell apart after a while because no one could ever make the calls on any kind of consistent basis. But then I I formed a new mastermind group. So sometimes mastermind groups – I mean, I have students, Lori, who've had mastermind groups that have been going for 20 years. And, and, and then I've had mastermind groups that have lasted, you know, six months because it was a purpose for that. And we fulfilled that purpose of supporting each other through a transition or through, you know, writing together, whatever it might be. But now my, my two main mastermind groups, one is the Transformational Leadership Council, and we meet regularly. And then I have a group of friends. We don't have it like every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., which I used to do. But on a consistent basis, you know, every couple of weeks or so, we get on the phone and support each other. And then my staff has become a mastermind for me. Like uh, tomorrow, I'll be meeting for six hours with uh, our what we call our steering committee for my company. And, uh, you know, one of the guys used to be a vice president at Sony uh, Pictures. Another person, uh, you know, ran Chicken Super to Soul Publishing for 15 years. Um, so really high-powered people within the company now. Um, and so we have regular meetings that way as well. And then each of us are reaching out to lots of networks. I would say I'm networking as much as I'm masterminding. Like I just did a workshop uh, where I was with Jim Quick put on this superhero conference. And uh, there was, um, you know, everyone there was like a superhero, Bruce Lee's daughter, uh, Quincy Jones, you know, the, the famous movie and, and music producer, uh, Mark Hyman, one of the best integrative medicine guys on the planet. I could go down the list, but you know, we, we, we ate lunches and dinners together for three days. And so a lot of masterminding going on that way as well. So, I mean, why do you think they really work? Are you guys just getting into the topics right away of the things that really matter? How do you, you know, make sure that you guys are all diving into the area that you need to, to grow? Well, number one, my rules for mastermind is you come with the questions that you want answered, the support you're looking for, the information, the insight, the coaching, uh, the encouragement, uh, the feedback, whatever it is that you need. And you structure the meetings so that everybody gets an equal amount of time. So, you know, uh, it, like at the Transformational Leadership Council, you know, I'll meet with, uh, you know, a lot of the people over meals and we'll make sure everybody gets, you know, 10 or 15 minutes 
to focus on their issue. Uh, when I get on the phone for masterminds, usually they're 90 minutes long. Everybody gets 15 minutes to say what's going on, what they need, and then the group brainstorms, uh, you know, connections, resources, ideas, uh, feedback, uh, you know, sometimes confronted feedback. You know, you're, you're not paying attention to this, you need to kind of thing. But it's always supportive. And when you make sure everybody gets their turn and you come prepared, then great things happen. If you don't come prepared, if you're not committed, if you don't take action on what the group gives you, um, then, you know, the energy kind of lags. Mm, I love that. It seems so, so basic to just ask for what you, you know, you need, but at the same time that can be, we don't have a spot for that in our daily lives. So I think it's been really magical uh, for the people that I know and for myself to have that place. And I can tell you, I have taken so many more risks because I know that I have that group, um, who's always there to help or fully accept me. Uh, so that's been really, really big for me. Well, and I think I think too, Lori, that not only do they help and support and encourage you, but you know you've got to go back to them for the, <laughs> and you don't want to say I didn't do it, you know. So there's an accountability factor that's built in as well, because so many people listening to this right now are what we call solo entrepreneurs. They're coaches, they're massage therapists, they're fitness trainers, whatever, and they don't have a boss forcing them to do the scary things they need to do. And so you need someone holding you accountable because we all have places where we're weak, where we chicken out, where we convince ourselves we're not worthy or we can't do it or we're going to get rejected or whatever. And when we have that support that says you are and then holding you accountable, did you? Like a parent saying, did you do your homework? Mm -hmm. um, that to me is one of the, the greatest aspects of that is that accountability. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how many times I've told my husband, I'm like, I have to do this because I have a call tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so what has been, you know, so many people always ask me like, how do you do this? Or how do you move past fear? Or I'm so worried about failure. Today I was um, just talking about how uh, so many people were asking me, aren't you afraid of looking stupid when you go on Facebook Live every day or whatever that is? And and I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have Jack cover this topic today. So tell me about some of the most pleasantly surprising lessons that you've had from something you either felt like you failed at or, you know, rejection. Well, you know, we fail all the time. I mean, you know, I mean, Chicken Soup for the Soul got rejected by 144 publishers before we got a... a uh, a yes, but it only takes one yes. And, um, you know, every time we got rejected, we'd say, well, what would it take to get a yes? And they would tell us, you know, need a better title. There's too much um, preachiness at the end of the stories. Let people make their own determinations, um, you know, blah, 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 blah. So the idea is that every time you fail, you learn something. Uh, and if you learn something, then it's not a failure. It's a learning experience, and you need a lot of learning experiences. Like, think about, I'll give you two metaphors. One is learning to walk. Anybody who's ever had a kid, or, you know, your nephew, if you've never had it kind of thing, uh, you learn to walk by falling down and getting up again, and falling down and getting up again, and falling down and getting up again. And every time you fall, your brain is calibrating, gee, we went too far to the left, we leaned too far forward, we bent our knee too much. So that eventually all that feedback is being incorporated by the brain to where you learn to walk. Learning to juggle. I, learned, I taught myself to juggle when I was an adult and I learned the same thing, that I would juggle over my bed so when I dropped the balls they didn't roll. And then I would just do it 
And then the next day when I would come back, I just practiced for 20 minutes every day. I was better. And every day when I'd come back, I was better than the day before. What was happening is during the night, I believe it's during sleep, mm -hmm. the body is recalibrating and reviewing every single move you made with your hands and arms, went too far forward, threw the ball too high, whatever. Next time I'll do this. So basically, all those failures is what ultimately led to success. Business failures, I bankrupted two companies in my 20s and 30s because I didn't know what I was doing. But I learned. I learned about marketing. I learned about financial management. I learned about you know hiring people correctly and firing people when you need to and so many things. So um, – you know, my marriage, uh, I learned that I probably should have got out sooner. I also learned uh, from all of that experience how to be a better husband in the next life. Mm -hmm. um, and so now, you know, I've been married to my current wife for 15 years and we're doing outrageously well. It doesn't mean we never have arguments or we never have little, you know, things where we feel separate from each other. But what we do now is we look at each of those as a learning process. I always tell people if you want to grow spiritually as fast as possible, Get married, have children, and start your own business. Because <laughs> what, what will happen is you will get more feedback more quickly about what's not working than you ever imagined possible. But the good news is you can grow. The bad news is if you get defensive and defend what's not working, then you get stuck. I loved, I loved when you talk about feedback because truly that's all that it is. And I've had some feedback lately. Um, and <laughs> initially, initially it's like, it can sometimes sting, but right away I was like, you know what, this is helping me grow into the person I need to be. And it made me make some really, made me take a really close look at some of my relationships and made me realize I could be, um, really showing some more love to really important people in my life. And it made me take some serious action that I've been so proud of myself for. So where I could have gotten incredibly defensive, I was like, breathe through it. Okay. Let's say a prayer and, and let's move on. And now I'm like, I have this great thing I call, um, more care Mondays where I look at that day and I think, okay, who can I just let them know that I'm so grateful for them. And that's really helped me. Otherwise I can, I can tend to be like a robot sometimes. So well, what I love about what you just said is uh, I was working with a woman, I don't even remember her name now, but she presented at the Transformational Leadership Council. And she said, insight without an action plan is just, you know, mind fucking basically. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that you took this feedback and you turned it into, um, what'd you call it? Mondays? More care. More care Mondays. And so now you have an action plan that allows you to structure yourself in such a way that you're forcing yourself to be more caring. And what will happen eventually is that will leak into every other day of the week. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first started realizing I wasn't acknowledging my staff enough, I carried around a three-by-five card. Now you can do it in your iPhone or whatever. But every time I acknowledged someone, I would mark it off. And I had to have 10 checks by the end of the day. And if I didn't, I had to send them an email or something. So I had 10 acknowledgments. Now, now it's become a habit. But, but having that kind of a structure where you're, you're, you're saying, okay, this is more care Monday, or I'm going to you know, have an alarm go off every hour and then make me call someone and say, you know, I love you, I adore you, or thank you, whatever. Um, that's brilliant. Good for you. Mm, thank you. So you have a lot going on. And how do you schedule your day? Do you use calendars? Are you planning way ahead by weeks, months? What does that look like? 
Well, I use Google Calendar and it's my whole company's on that so everyone can see what I'm doing. So I not only schedule appointments and phone calls and interviews and client calls and all of that stuff, but I also schedule blocks of time where I'm going to work on something. Like I'm going to be the officiant at a friend's wedding. I'm marrying them uh, in two weeks. And so I have like two hours blocked out this afternoon to finish designing the wedding ceremony. Um, and then I've got time blocked out to edit stories for a book I'm doing called Living the Success Principles of people who have taken the success principles and applied them to their life and created extraordinary results. So I – and I schedule myself out. I mean I have stuff scheduled out into 2018 in terms of talks and conferences I'm committed to be at and so forth. But generally uh, we like to do in our company what we call 30-day, 60-day and 90-day out meetings where we'll look at what's happening 90 days from now. What do we need to be doing now to make sure that's a great event? Uh, like we have a Breakthrough to Success training coming up uh, soon and in August. And so we look at what do we need to be doing now to make sure that when we get there, we don't look back and go, God, I wish we'd thought of that. Um, so everything very much thought out and, and on a schedule. Um, my own daily schedule is I get up in the morning, I do something called the hour of power, which is 20 minutes of meditation, then 20 minutes of physical exercise, and then 20 minutes of reading. And now I'm beginning to add 20 minutes of writing because I want to do like a little book where there's a kind of a lesson every day that you would get. But if I do that and write a little lesson for 20 minutes every day, within a year I'll have a book that I can publish, kind of a you know daily meditations mm -hmm. for people to get their day started correctly. And then I go to I, I, I do a blender drink, uh, you know, a healthy drink, and then I go to work and I only answer emails. This was something I learned really helpful, Lori. I was coming to work every morning and spending the first two hours answering emails. And then I had a coach that told me, you're taking your most two productive hours and focusing on responding to other people's stuff. Why don't you take your first two productive hours and focus on what you most want to get done, writing, um, reaching out to people and interviewing them for your own projects, uh, making connections with people that can help you, um, you know, that you don't want to network with, et cetera. That really kind of changed my life because mm -hmm. I realized I was being way too much responsive to other people's needs and not proactive about my own, my own initiatives and my own priorities. But then at the end of the day, I do one more thing. Uh, I do a thing called the daily review. And this is one of the most powerful things I learned in my 20s. And that is... Whatever you're working on, like you're doing your, your more caring Mondays, uh, someone might say, right now I'm working on my health as my priority or learning to be more compassionate or being more assertive for my own needs or whatever. But at the end of the day, take five minutes, sit down somewhere. It could be before you go home from work. It could be after you get home from work or right before you go to bed. And just close your eyes and ask your own high self, just I, the idea that you have like a, a higher consciousness that lives within you, and just say, Show me where I could have been, in your case, more caring today. Mm -hmm. Or in my case, show me where I could have been more uh, self-nurturing today. That's one of the things I'm working on, drinking more water, taking more time to walk around, not sit at my desk all day, et cetera. And invariably, you'll get an answer that will come up. You'll think of, oh, the time in the bank where that per the person cut ahead of me, and I kind of really let them have it instead of maybe realizing maybe there are kids in the car and they're going to die of overheat if I don't let this guy in front of me, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so – 
there's always something that comes up. And then what you do is you replay it in your mind the way you wish you would have responded. And you just visualize that. And what that does, it lays down a blueprint in your subconscious mind for the next time that happens, you're going to relate to it more intentionally and consciously from where you want to be rather than reactively from where you're you know, responding from your lower consciousness, let's say. Mm, awesome. I love that. And I love hearing about the most productive hours too, just because I really believe, you know, once you become really self-aware, you're like, wow, I'm, I find that I'm really only motivated for this amount of time, whether it's two hours, three hours, four hours of the day, and really just putting that, you know, most impactful thing that you can do for that day right there. It's that has really rocked my world as well. Um, so as far as your training, cause I just want to talk about this before we wrap up your uh, train the trainer training was the most effective that I've ever been to for myself. And I know that's because it was experiential and I have that reference point to always go back to like, okay, I did this in that room. I can do it now. This is what I remember. The same person was going through the same thing. So is, is that something that you have always done or do you really truly, uh, try to apply experiential training to everything that you're teaching? Yes, I would say 95% of the time. There are times when I'm hired to give a 30-minute keynote you know, address. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be more conceptual with inspirational stories. But even then, I usually have people do one or two quick little things because people remember what they do. You know, I can show you how to play the guitar. I can show you, you know, uh, people playing the guitar, you know, that are really good to inspire you of what's possible. But until you put that guitar in your hands and try to form a chord, uh, you know, you're not going to learn. And so it's really critical that people have an experience, whether it's learning how to communicate, learning how to, you know, deal with their fear of rejection, learning how to ask for what they want. You know, there are experiential exercises that put you right in the middle of it. And then you have this mirror coming back to you about what you do or don't do in those situations. And then you can try on alternative ways of doing that right in the moment in the in a seminar, the training, in a workshop, in a coaching session, whatever. And that is so much more profound because when you learn something yourself, what happens is it's yours. And so – uh, basically, I've always been a big believer in experiential learning. I think it's one of the big problems in our schools, our universities. People talk at you all day long. You take notes. and You're supposed to regurgitate the notes back. People go to business school. They get taught by people that never ran a business. and They don't have to go out and intern in a business. At least doctors have to do internships and residencies before we let them loose in the world. And so I think the same thing's true with learning how to be successful, learning how to teach success, learning how to teach anything. Uh, it needs to be an experiential model, as you said. You know, And then as you turn around and teach it, you've been there, done that, so you know what the other people are going through. And I think it's, um, you know, to me, it's always been kind of interesting that Catholic priests who have never been married do marriage counseling. You you just don't know what the people are going through. I mean, not that you can't be helpful. I don't mean that, you know, sharing Mm -hmm. spiritual principles and all. But it's so much more like, if you know, I've never been a drug addict or a prisoner. And I've met people that were prisoners and drug addicts. And they are so much more relevant to people who are breaking the law or abusing drugs than I will ever be. Because they can speak the language of having been there. And so uh, I don't think, you know, as much as possible, we want to experience the things we're teaching. 
Oh, that was huge for me. I can't tell you. I did, so I did train the trainer right before my first big event. So it was 200 women, right? I, I don't know what I was thinking. Thank God that I, <laughs> it's just like, you have to set the date and you have to leap. But I remember I had your, I think it was your first training right before that. And thank goodness, because it really did put me in, in the situations that I was going to be doing right before that. And it was, it's as if I'd been there before. So yeah. it, it took away so much from me and also just watching you. I have learned so much because it's not just what you say, it's how you are. It's just how you're being. And I learned more from watching you facilitate and watching how you had your uh, really just your finger on the pulse on everything and how you communicated with your team. That was really, really big to me to see what you had them do, how you were communicating with them and how you were treating them. So I'm so grateful for that. No, you're very welcome. And you know, how, who you are teaches much more than anything you'll ever say. Mm. I remember it was a wonderful quote. It said, teacher, who you are, speak so loudly I can't hear a word you're saying. It would be like me standing up in front of the room smoking, telling my kids not to smoke. Mm. We see all these parents who come home at the end of the day of the work and go, oh, man, I really need a drink. And then they wonder why their kid who's coming home from high school equally stressed doesn't think they need a drink, you know. Um, and so – the reality is that um, our beingness, the quality of our energy, our, our, our emotions, our compassion, our goodwill toward the people we're teaching is, is really, really, really important. And I think that's learned as much by osmosis and being in that environment and modeling it as it is by ever reading about it. Mm. Mm. So, Jack, before I ask my very last question, is there anything else that you want to share with anybody? Well, I would just share, you know, if you're listening to this and you are turned on by it at some level and you would like to know more, you know, go to my website, uh, www.jackcanfield.com. Uh, if, if you're someone who is struggling with an addiction, I wrote a book called The 30-Day Sobriety Solution. I would encourage you, if you have someone in your life, to check out that. If you haven't read The Success Principles, I don't need to sell another book. I mean, I'm set for life, but I know that that book will help you just like it helped Lori. And ultimately, I would say, um, you know, like Lori said, experiential training is really where it's at. So check out our trainings. And if you want to be a trainer, I think we have the best train the trainer program, both online and live. And finally, whatever you want to do in life, you have the capacity to do it. I, I believe and it's been borne out by lots of research. You're never given a dream that you don't have the capacity to fulfill. You won't even be able to think it up if you don't have the capacity. You may need to learn something new. You may need to learn to uh, how to enroll people in your dream. You may need to learn how to cooperate with other people and be part of a team. So there's all kinds of things you may need to learn between here and there. But you can get there. So fully understand and believe that. I don't care how low you're starting. We've seen people with brain damage from uh, accidents, people with uh, you know deep problems with drugs, people that were uh, homeless that literally have taken these principles and turned their lives around and produced lives of great abundance and, and security and financial uh, well-being and health and so forth. So I just want everyone to know that whatever you want wants you. You just have to be willing to do the work. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Amen. And we will make sure that we hook all of that up in show notes, you guys. So if any of that, I'll let you know all the different train the trainer details. And also he has um, something for you in those show notes too, that we are going to send you guys to. 
Okay, so Jack, you have my my podcast is all about just happiness, really finding your happiness, knowing what that is for you. So if you had only 30 seconds in an elevator with someone and they turn to you and they say, How do I make myself happy? What would you say? Um, hang around with happy people, mm. think happy thoughts, and uh read more books. Uh there are lots of books on happiness. And, um, you know, just uh, start taking things lighter. Angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. And um, it's just the thoughts we think. So surround yourself in positive thoughts. Listen to these podcasts, read positive books, watch positive TED Talks. Uh, Just immerse yourself in a sea of happiness and you will become happy. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jack. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for you and this opportunity. Thank you very much. Mm, Thank you. And you guys, if you loved this episode as much as I did, make sure you share it, tweet it, shout it out to all of your friends. And until next time, earn your happy. Bye, everyone. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye.